Okay, so uh, tonight's shear is going to be on a topic which I think somebody had called on the base or one of the uh, the hotlines which I, which I answer. So somebody had called about it last week or the week before. Um, and being that I didn't know the exact, uh, you know, what the person was, was referencing exactly. So, you know, as what happens is I went ahead and I gave him a generic answer. And I'll explain to you what you'll see in a moment, what exactly the question was. Uh, and then this week, somebody went ahead and sent me a link uh, regarding the same Shila. So now that I had a link, so I had a chance to go ahead and, uh, and look into that uh, a little bit more. So let me go ahead and share the screen with you. Okay. So here, so the question is, totaling a Betty Crocker pizza maker. So all this really is, all this uh, Betty Crocker pizza maker is, it's like a, uh, it's like a George Foreman, but it's uh, round shaped and there's no grooves. So you would, you would theoretically make a, 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 a pizza in it, but you could go ahead and you can make all sorts of different things at the same time. You could go ahead and you can make sandwiches. You could, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's many uses that you, could, uh, that you could use with it. So here, this is from the OK, the Kashrus organization. This is from their website. It says, an appliance or utensil manufactured under Jewish ownership does not require tevila in a mikvah. So that's why when you go ahead and you buy a Kiddush cup from Eretz Yisrael or something, so the assumption is, is that it was manufactured by Jews, and since it was manufactured by Jews, so you don't have to tovel it. The, the requirement to tovel a kli, to tovel a utensil, is only in the event that it was manufactured by a non-Jew. Then they go on to say, limited lots of Betty Crocker pizza maker plus model, whatever, are manufactured under contract where the Jewish importer takes full ownership of all raw materials and components that will be used in the manufacturing of the appliance. These lots will have the OK symbol on the box. Additionally, Betty Crocker, OK, is contracted in a way that the importer retains ownership throughout the manufacturing process until the final product is produced. There are varying opinions within Jewish law whether utensil manufactured in Jewish ownership and is transferred to a non-Jewish retailer for the sale for the sole purpose of reselling it requires tevila. The rabbinic authorities at OK Kosher have determined that it does not. Okay, so what they're saying is basically is they're saying that if you buy this particular model, the one that they have on the screen over there, of the Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus, so you don't have to worry about the toveling it. And uh, those who are a little bit squeamish about totaling uh, electric appliances, electrical appliances, so you could buy this one and you wouldn't have to worry about totaling it all together because it's considered to be Jewish manufactured, Jewish owned, and therefore it does not require tevila. Okay, so now there's two points which, uh, which are important, which we're going to, uh, to review uh, tonight as far as what they are writing over here. So now one point is that... Um, the, uh, in the event that you have uh, a Jew, well, let's say you have one person, Jew or non-Jew, owns the raw materials, owns the metal, owns the electrical com- uh, components and all of that stuff, and another person goes ahead and does the manufacturing. So is there a requirement of tevila or not? One person owns it, one person does the actual manufacturing. And then you have a second question is, let's say something was manufactured by a Jew, but then they, some of the middlemen along the way, they happen to be not Jewish. 
So you have distributors who go ahead and they uh, they distribute these things, and the distributors own the uh, the items which they ultimately distribute. So is that going to be an issue in terms of going from Jewish ownership, non-Jewish ownership, back to Jewish ownership again, where the person, the, the non-Jew in the middle, the non-Jewish distributor, had no plan on using the Betty Crocker pizza maker to make his own pizza. He just planned on leaving it in the box buying it from the manufacturer, selling it to the customer, but it happens to be that it was owned by a non-Jew along the way. So the OK is adopting a lenient opinion about both of these matters. Now, we're going to try tonight and explore the, uh, the, halachic, uh, the, the halachas related to this, and then we'll see whether or not, uh, in the event that you decide as a result of this, to buy yourself a Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus, whether or not you would tovel it or, or not, or whether you tovel it with a bracha or without a bracha. Okay, so uh, fortunately for us, by and large, the halachas of toveling utensils is found in one simon in Shocharach. So as long as you know where that simon is, so you should pretty much be able to find everything that, uh, that you need to know. So this is in Yeridea, simon Kufchaf. And we are jumping now to, we're not going to do all of the background about toveling and stuff, we're just, we're just going to jump right into this particular topic. So here the Shulchan Aruch says, and it's on the screen and I'll highlight it as we read. Yisrael shenasan kesev l'umet ovekochavim lasos imenu kli. So here, let's just use now, uh, before we get to the pizza maker, we'll use a Kiddush cup as an example. So I go ahead, so there's a non-Jewish craftsman who lives in the neighborhood, I want him to go ahead and make for me a, a silver kiddush cup, a silver becher. So what I do is I drop off by him five ounces of silver, raw silver, just a, a chunk of silver, five, a five ounce chunk of silver. I bring it to him and I say, I would like you to go ahead and use this silver to manufacture this design becher. And then as a craftsman, he goes ahead and he does his magic. He melts and shapes and carves and whatever he's going to do. I don't even know what they do, but he's going to go through that whole process of manufacturing the Kiddush cup. And then when he's done, so he drops it off in my house. He says, Rabbi, here's the, uh, the Kiddush cup and I pay him. So now the question is, I own the metal. So it was my metal, which was used to, uh, to, ma- to, uh, to make the Kiddush cup, but he did the manufacturing. So when I own the metal, in the non-Jew does the manufacturing. So is it is there going to be a chiv? Is there going to be an obligation to tovel that kiddush cup or not? So Shulchan Aruch says, ain't, ain't no So Shulchan Aruch is of the opinion that I would not have to go ahead and tovel it. So even though it was manufactured by the non-Jew, the, and we'll see a, a more a, elaboration, more explanation of this in the next source, but being that I own the metal which was used to manufacture that kiddush cup, Shulchan Aruch says that it does not need to be toveled, but Haggad, the Ramah comes along and says, he says, that there are those who disagree and say that the key thing is not who owns the metal. The key is who does the manufacturing. And being that it was manufactured by a non-Jew, so then it, that's when it went from a chunk of silver into a silver kiddush cup, into a silver becher. So since that was done by a non-Jew, so you would have to tovel it. And then being that there's a machlokas about this, so says the Ramah, So when it comes to any machlokas about tvilas kalim, about toveling utensils, so when there's always the easy way out. The easy way out is tovel it, but don't say the bracha when you tovel it. 
So that's always like the uh, the, uh, the the safest place that you could go. That you could go. So now, what's this issue? So the question is, what is the basis of this disagreement? Whether or not, when I own the silver and I gave the silver to the non-Jew to shape it into a becher, whether or not that needs tevila or not, what's the basis of that disagreement? So now we go backwards a step. As you guys know, they are, the Shulchan Aruch is really a summary or a bullet, po- a collection of bullet points of Rav Yosef Karo's work on the tour called the Beis Yosef. So the Beis Yosef is really the more detailed work where the Rav Yosef Karo goes out and explores all of the halachas from the source in the Gemara through the major Rishonim. And then he, uh, through his analysis, he reaches a conclusion. And his final conclusion is ultimately recorded in Shulchan Aruch. So when you see something which is there in Shulchan Aruch, and you want to understand it more deeply, and you want to understand the underpinnings and the rationale behind the halacha, you take out your tour, and you go ahead and you look at the Beis Yosef. So now, let's go ahead and let's see what the Beis Yosef has to say about this. So he's quoting from the tour. So now he explains. Perish. So this is the scenario which we described. I gave a chunk of silver to the non-Jewish craftsman, the silversmith, and he went ahead and he made a silver becher out of it. So now, So he says, So here, actually, let me go ahead and highlight this phrase over here. So this phrase over here, uman So this is going to be the key, uh, a key part, a key phrase in our, uh, our our analysis. So when I dropped off the five ounces of silver by the non-Jew, so that chunk of silver is worth, let's say, a hundred dollars. I have no idea what silver is going for nowadays, but let's just say that five ounces of silver is worth a hundred dollars. And then he goes ahead and he melts and shapes and crafts and does all of his stuff. And by the time he's done, that silver, that five ounces of silver, can now be sold for $500. So I gave him $100 worth of silver. Through his manufacturing, it's now worth $500. So that $400 of craftsmanship, that's the shavach kli, that's the, how, that's the improvement or the increased value of the utensil, who owns that $400 of value? So is it my, is that, is that my value, I, the owner of the silver? So do I automatically own those $400 of value? Or do we say Uman, the craftsman, in this case, the guy, Kona Bishrakli, he owns those $400 of value by transforming it from a chunk of silver into a utensil. And I don't own that additional $400 with a value until I pay him for it. But in the meantime, it belongs to him. So he says, I actually skipped the word over there. So he, so the Beis Yosef explains, even according to the opinion that says, Uman kona kli, that the craftsman acquires the additional value of the utensil, still Shulchan Aruch is able to paskin, or this first opinion says, Ein you still don't have to go ahead and tovot. Why didn't you have to tovot? So what that means is, is that we now have a $500 silver becher. I, the Jew, I own 20% of it because I, I gave the original $100 of silver, and the non-Jew owns 80% of it. So we have a shutfus of sort. So whenever there's a shutfus, whenever a Jew and a non-Jew share ownership of something, of a keli, so you don't have to tovel that. So why over here are we saying that you would have to tovel? Uh, why would we say that over here 
that when I take full possession of it now, if the guy owned 80% of it for a period of time, and now I pay him for it, and now I own the Becher uh, uh, outright, so why don't I have to go ahead and tovel it? So explains, the Kevin so nikra shem hagoy alav, sheina clean nikra el al shem balav. Because even though the non-Jew, even though the Gentile, uh, the silversmith, went ahead and he took $100 worth of silver and manufactured it into a $500 silver becher, nonetheless, nobody looked at what he was doing as if it was his. Everybody looked at it and said, oh, he's making a, a, a kiddush cup for shaffle. So since his name was never really associated with it, even though he was the one who it, it created, in a sense, the increased value by changing it, transforming it from a, uh, from a chunk of silver into, uh, into a Kiddush cup. But since his name is not associated with it, velo al sh- uh, it, 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 it's known as my Kiddush cup, velo al shem ha'uman, and it's not referred to as the silversmith's becher, kilo dami lemaisa shahaya. So therefore, it's not similar to the original, uh, uh, the origin, I should say, the origin of the requirement to tovel utensils, which was the story of Midian, which we're coming up to in a few weeks in the, in the Parsha, where the Jews went ahead and did battle with Midian. The Jews were, were victorious in their battle against Midian. They bring home all of the utensils which had belonged to the Midian people, the Midianite people, and that's where the Torah instructs us that when you go ahead and you acquire uh, meal utensils from a non-Jew, you have to go ahead and tovel it. So says, this is the opinion of Tosos. So he's of the opinion that the only time you have to tovel is when what's going on now replicates what happened in that Torah story, where it was clearly owned by the non-Jew and is referred to as a Midianite Kali. And now the Jews bought it, they conquered them, they defeated them in war, and therefore it now belongs to the Jews. So since there's a clear transfer of ownership from non-Jew to Jew, that's when you have to go ahead and tovel utensils. But over here, where, uh, where I gave a chunk of silver to the non-Jewish silversmith, and he manufactured that into a, a becher, nobody looked at it as if that was his becher. And therefore, since nobody looked at it as if it was his it doesn't meet the, uh, the, it doesn't match the original model of toveling, and therefore Tosos is of the opinion that you don't have to go ahead and, uh, and, and tovel it. But, um, okay, then he says, now uh, we'll skip the rest of that paragraph. Then in this next paragraph, he says, now he's explaining the dissenting opinion, the opinion which says that that you would have to go ahead and uh, uh, tovel it. So he explains, the Beis Yosef explains, Kolomer, in other words, not only when you go ahead in our scenario where you give a chunk of silver to the non-Jew and you hire him to go ahead and manufacture a becher uh, 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 out of it, would tvila be required? Because, and we're going to skip with what he's uh, another line. He says, the reason is the Kaimalan Hakol Olech Achar Because we have a principle in Shas, which is everything follows, everything is going to be determined by what makes the object into what it is. Kilomar, in other words, Kevan Shekliza Eno Ome Kitikuno Goy, being that when I gave 
the silver to the to the silversmith in the first place. So I didn't have a becher. It was just a chunk of silver. And what made it into its kli, what made it into a utensil, a, a, a functional becher, was the craftsmanship of the goy. So therefore, it doesn't make a difference whose silver it started off being, who made it into a keli. So this second opinion says that we don't care who owns the silver. What we care about is who's the one who made it into a keli. And since it was a non-Jew who made it into a keli, so therefore, tevila is going to be required. So this is the, this is the basis of the, of, of the disagreement, going back to the, uh, the first source. So Shulchan Aruch says that if I give a non-Jewish silversmith some silver and he manufactures out of that a becher, tevila is not required. The reason why tevila is not going to be required is because even though the non-Jew had 80% ownership of it, in our example, still you don't have to tovel it because it doesn't resemble the origin of this halacha, which was taking a utensil which clearly belonged to the Mijanim, and now it clearly belongs to the Jews. And in this case, you don't have that to transfer. And the other opinion says, no, the other opinion says, we don't care about who owned the silver in the first place. All we really care about, who's the one who made it into a utensil. And anytime it was a Jew who made it into a utensil, so therefore, it's going to, uh, the, uh, the uh, tevila is going to be required. Okay, so now we have this disagreement. And as we said, the Ramah takes the easy way out. And he says, being that there's a machlokas, go ahead and tovel it without, without making a brach. But let's see what the, uh, the Bear Hetev is going to have a nice summary of who holds what, who paskins which way. So says the Bear Hetev, this is now in source three. This is Sifkat and Yud Dalad. So he says, Kasava Shach, the Shach writes, the Shach, one of the primary commentators on the page of Shulchan Aruch. He says, the Habach Hisik al that the Bach disagrees with the Ramah. In other words, the Bach agrees with Shulchan Aruch that you don't have to go ahead and tovel it. But the Shach asserts, Vein Dvar But the Shach says, I disagree. And the Shach says that really the halacha is like the, uh, like the Ramah, who says that you do have to tovel it in such a case. Even though the silver, the, the nugget of silver, belong to a Jew, being that the non-Jew is the one who went ahead and took this piece of silver, this chunk of silver, and manufactured it into a utensil, so it's going to have to be immersed, regardless of whether we're talking about a circumstance where the non-Jew went ahead and manufactured a becher in the first place, or the same thing would be true in the event that there already was a Kiddush cup, but somehow it developed a puncture. So the wine was leaking out, and I gave it to the non-Jewish silversmith to go ahead and to, uh, to repair it, to go ahead and plug up the hole with more silver. But either way, the, the, in that case as well, he's taking it from a non-functional kli into a functional kli. So so being there, the non-Jew went ahead and made it functional. So tevila is going to be required. Even in the event that you have, the, even though the silver belongs to the, the, uh, the Jew, because we're, we're adopting the position, there the craftsman acquires the increased value which results from his efforts. 
So like we said, the example we said before is I gave the non-Jew $100 worth of silver. He manufactures it into a $500 becher. So at that moment, the non-Jew owns 80% of it. He owns $400 worth of value. And I only own $100 worth of value. And therefore, when I buy it from him, I'm buying something which should belong to a non-Jew. And therefore, a tefillah is going to be required. He says, Kakas of Ataz, Ataz says the same thing. And then the, uh, the Berhetev adds that, being, however, that there's a machlokes, he reaffirms what the Ramah said in terms of, but we're still going to go ahead and tovel it without a bracha, because at the end of the day, there is a machlokes about that. Okay, so now, here, uh, so at this point, all right, let me, let's not move on yet. So at this point, we would say that, so remember, the, what the OK asserts is that they have bought all of the raw materials that go into this pizza maker, this, this Betty Cracker Pizza Maker Plus. So being that they own all of the materials, but it's manufactured by a non-Jew, so it would seem to be that when, you, when the Jew owns all of the raw materials and it's manufactured by a non-Jew, so we have a machlokis between the machaber and the Ramah, whether or not you would tovot. According to the Mechaber, we would say that since the Jew owns the raw materials, so you don't, you do not have to go ahead and tovel it. The Ramah says that that they, we don't care that the Jew provided the uh, the raw materials. The bottom line is is that the craftsmen, the manufacturers, took those raw materials and by combining them together, created something of greater value. And that additional value is owned by the non-Jew, and therefore the Ramah says that tevila would be required in such a case. And therefore, we would say, tovel it without a bracha. That would seem to be, at this point in our analysis, that's what we would say the halacha is going to be with regards to this, uh, this pizza maker, that, it, uh, that the, the, the pizza maker is, an exact, uh, uh, is a perfect example of this disagreement between Shochanach and Ramah. Okay, now... Um... Okay, so now the Pricharash, who's one of the commentators to Shulchan Aruch, so he is going to introduce to us a way to avoid the Shiloh. A good way to be able to avoid the Shiloh. It may not be business-wise, but uh, it's, a, it's, a, it's a halachic way to avoid the Shiloh. So he says, when is it? So using, our, using the example of the Kiddushka. So I give the $100 of silver to the non-Jew. He makes a $500 becher out of it. I go ahead and I pay him for his efforts. I pay him the $400. So when I pay him the, that money, then when I am now the full owner of that Kiddush cup, that's when I go ahead and I tovo. So that's what the, the, the first part of what the Prichadosh says, perish. In other words, bebracha, this opinion, which says the Ramah, who says that you do have to tovo it, the Ramah says you're going to tovo, this first, the, the, the Ramah's opinion is bebracha, that I'm going to go ahead, I'm going to tovo it with a bracha, the Kiddush cup, once I go ahead and I pay the non-Jew for the, uh, for the increased value which he created. So when I go ahead and I pay him $400 for his efforts, so then I am now the, uh, the exclusive owner of the, of the Becher, and it's at that point that I would go ahead and tovel it. But he says, but, lo, but, uh, uh, but if I didn't pay him yet for the becher, let's say he went ahead and he just dropped it off by my house and he said, I'm in a, I'm in a big rush and I know it's there of Shabbos and you want to go ahead and use this for your Shabbos, Shabbos Shavu brachos. So you'll go ahead and you'll pay me next week. Don't worry about it. You'll pay me uh, some other time. 
So says the Prichadish, if I didn't pay for it yet, that means then you would not tovel it, even according to the Ramah. Why? Lefi, jump around. Lefi, Sha'al Yidei Oso Mitzas Kesef Shahosev Bikli, Havale Shutfim Bikli. Because remember, we said that I own 20% of the Kaili because I provided the $100 worth of silver. He owns 80% of the Kaili because through his manufacturing and his silversmith, silversmithing, he went ahead and created a becher which is now worth $500. So effectively, he and I are partners in that, in that uh, becher. And if I didn't buy from him his portion, so as Shutim, as partners, so when a Jew and a non-Jew own, uh, uh, own a utensil, in partnership with one another, you don't have to go ahead and tovel it. You only tovel it once the non-Jew doesn't have ownership of, uh, of it anymore. So here the Prichadash says that if you didn't pay for it yet, so then the non-Jew is still considered to be the owner of whatever that increased value is, the Shavach Kli, the Uman Kon B'Shavach Kli. And, and as he says, V'chol Zman HaShutfes, and as long as the shutfus, as long as the partnership is still ongoing, so you would not go ahead and you would not uh, you would not have to tow vote. So the whole disagreement begins only when I go ahead and I pay uh, I go ahead and I pay the non-Jew after he manufactured the becher. And now the question is, do I have to tow it or not? From this, postkim say, postkim point out. Yeah, we're going to jump ahead over here. So we'll switch this around. So now, so I'm the, taking this uh, this point. So uh, if you look in the dark etchuva, which is now considered, which is now called source number five. So he says, "V'siem." He's quoting a, a different uh, sefer, but he says, He says that the whole restriction. Which we said that you would that everybody agrees you wouldn't tovel it in the event that you didn't pay the manufacturer yet, or you didn't pay the silversmith for his efforts. So that's when everybody would agree that you don't you didn't tovel. Aval Let's say it's your neighbor who's a silversmith, and he says, "Hey, I'd like to do some practice. I just finished apprenticing uh, as as a silversmith, and I'd like to get some practice. Do you mind if I go ahead and take a chunk of silver of yours?" and I'll make you a becher for free. I won't even charge you for it. So let's say the non-Jew is not even going to charge you for it. He's just doing it as a present. Oh, or let's say you went ahead and you prepaid the silversmith before he did anything. So the silversmith says, listen, I've had enough experiences where I manufactured stuff for people and they didn't pay me for it. They just left it in the store and they never paid. So my policy now is that I'm only going to go ahead and manufacture for you a becher in the event that you prepay in full. So now if you go ahead and you prepay in full, so now you can't say that the non-Jewish silversmith is acquiring $400 of value because you've already paid him $400 for that value. So in either one of those two cases, the Dark Yeshuvah says whether or not he's doing it for me for free or whether or not I prepaid in full so that it's my silver, $100 of silver, which is becoming my $500 becher because I already paid for it. In both of those cases, says the Dark Yeshuvah, so then there's no way that the non-Jew acquires anything in that case. And in such a scenario, we would say that everybody would agree that tevila is not required. 
The whole machlokas is if the non-Jew is going to acquire some level of ownership through his manufacturing. But if he does not acquire any ownership through his manufacturing, either because he does it for free, or I prepaid in full, and therefore there's nothing for him to acquire. So then the Dark Yichuva says, so then that would avoid the, uh, the Shiloh altogether. And everybody would agree in that case that you would not have to go ahead and you would not have to, uh, to tovo. A similar type of thing, oh, actually, and now this, uh, this um, um, segues very nicely into Rav Moshe, into source number six over here. So Rav Moshe says, he said the following, there's a Tshuva of Rav Moshe, so Moshe says, So he says, even those, it's a long introductory sentence over here, but he says, even those opinions who say that you have to tovel the silver becher that the non-Jewish silversmith manufactured, when you went ahead and gave him the raw silver, when you went ahead and gave him the uh, a chunk of silver, and it's rooted in the uh, in the notion that when he meant when he took the hundred dollars worth of silver and manufactured out of that a five hundred dollar becher, that he actually owns four hundred dollars worth of that becher. So he says shehevi, and this is shehevi aramabi or this simikuf chafsif aleph. It's not really sif aleph over there. It says as the Ramah says says. Says Ramosha, this idea that you may have a shaila, lo shaykh be, hardest words to always read in Ramosha is when he decides to go ahead and transliterate. But this word is, I won't uh, put you too much to the test over here, but this word is, lo shaykh be factories, meaning factories. So this doesn't apply when it was manufactured in a factory, shirka hakli nasa al yidei ha machines. That's the next transliterated word. So when we're not talking about an actual craftsman who's working with tools, we're talking about just dumping the, the nugget of silver into a machine. And then on the other end of the machine comes out a stamped silver uh, becher. And it was all done by machine. And all the workers do in the factory is they just press the buttons. <laughs> they don't do anything more than that other than press button, turn on and off. So he says, "Vigam beloza kol ovdim befactories beasias kelim heim polim deschiriyom." He says, "On top of that, so he says, first of all, there's no way that any of the people, the workers in the in the factory, are going to acquire anything because they're not doing any manufacturing; they're just pressing buttons." He says, "On top of which, what's the nature of the employment of those guys who would work in such a factory? Generally, these guys are paid by the hour." They get paid minimum wage to go ahead and work these machines. They get paid $20 an hour to work these machines, $25 if they unionize to go ahead and work the machines. But they're getting paid an hourly rate to go ahead and work the machines. So if you remember from various shurim that we've had, that there's two types of employees. There is what's called the schiriom. Somebody gets an hourly wage to go ahead and do whatever job he's assigned to do. And then you have a, a, a kablon, an independent contractor, or an uman, who is also similar to a kablon. So says Rav Moshe, the whole, the, the whole discussion between Shulchan Aruch and the Ramah about whether, whether or not we're going to apply the rule, uman, uman kona b'shvach kli, that the non-Jewish craftsman acquires the additional value that, uh, that he created when he transformed the chunk of silver into a silver becher, 
That's only true in the event that we're talking about an Uman, we're talking about somebody who is paid as an independent contractor. But if we're talking about people who are working in a factory and they're getting paid hourly for their efforts, so they get paid by the day, or they get paid by the week, the low kablonim, and they're not working as independent contractors, so he says, so certainly in that case, if the people who are working in the factory are paid hourly, the principle of uman konu b'shvach kli never applies, it never begins, and therefore, because it, it's the, it, that principle, that rule only applies, unim shem kablon, that only applies by an uman, by a craftsman, who is also a form of an independent contractor. And therefore, since in factories, it's all being made by workers who are schireyom, workers who are paid an hourly rate, there's no way that they acquire anything. And therefore, one could go ahead and one could, uh, could, uh, could uh, justifiably argue that when, uh, when the OK goes out and provides raw materials to the Betty Crocker factory, which is probably stationed in China or something like that. So since all of the workers in that factory, none of them, it's all, it's probably all done by machine. And even if it's not done by machine, the people are being paid, are being paid whatever their hourly rate is in, uh, in, uh, uh, in, uh, uh, in China over there. So therefore, one could go ahead and one could justifiably argue and say that indeed, that since this is being done in a factory, that the manufacturer didn't acquire any ownership of the, of the utensil at all. And therefore, else that, we would say it, it may very well be that everybody agrees that you wouldn't have to tovult. So that is the first part of the analysis. The first part of the analysis is that if indeed the Jews own all of the raw components, and they then deliver it, or they provide it to the factory to go ahead and manufacture it. So like Rav Moshe, so we would not apply the principle of Uman Kona B'Shvach Kli, and therefore the raw material as it's formed into the uh, final product, which is the Betty Cracker pa- uh, Pizza Maker Plus, so that would indeed belong to the Jew, the entire manufacturing process, and we would say that if you pick it up from the factory, that you would not have to tovel it. But if you remember, we said at the beginning, there's a second question, which the OK themselves address, addresses. And that is, what about the fact that most people are not flying to China to pick up their Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus directly from the factory? They're going to be buying it at uh, uh, Bed Bath & Beyond, and they're going to buy it at Target, or they're going to buy it on Amazon, or they're going to buy it at some retailer. And the retailer doesn't get it directly from the factory. The retailer gets it from some sort of middleman. And there may have been multiple middlemen along the way between the factory and the, uh, the, uh, the, the final customer. So in the event that you have, we'll just make it simple though. It's manufactured in China. You have Target's uh, distributor who owns it in the middle. They have a, a, a distribution plant, let's say, uh, in, uh, in Nashville. And then from there, it ends up at the Bed Bath & Beyond. I don't know if it's in Wilmette or if it's in Skokie over here, but it ends up in Bed Bath & Beyond, and you go ahead and purchase it from the Bed Bath & Beyond. So it was Jewish-owned, Goyish-owned, and now Jewish-owned. So in that case, would you have to go ahead and tovel it, the fact that it was Goyish-owned in the middle over there? So here, we have an interesting uh, uh, analysis over here. Hopefully, we'll get the third in these uh, 10 minutes. So the, the issue is, 
Now, I just have to give you uh, like two points of introduction over here. And that is, is that the only time you have to tovel a utensil that you buy from a non-Jew is what's called kli se'uda. Um, you have that phrase right over here. Kli se'uda. So this means that a utensil which is used either in the making of food, the cooking of food, or in the eating of food. So utensils which are used uh, for food preparation or for food consumption, they have to be toveled. But if you have a screwdriver or a hammer, which is used for construction purposes, so you don't have to go ahead and tovel a, a screwdriver or a hammer that you buy from a non-Jew. But there's another phrase, which is called... Uh, that is... Klishora. Klishora is a utensil which, is, which was purchased, which is owned, not for the purpose of using in food preparation or food consumption, but it's, going to, it's just used for business. So this is literally the distributor. The distributor never plans on using the Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus to actually make pizza. His intent, his ownership of that Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus is to buy it from the manufacturer and sell it to the customer. So for him, it's not really a klisuda. It's not really a utensil which is going to be used for a meal. As far as the distributor is concerned, this is a utensil which is a business item. This is this is just a commodity. This is just a uh, a product which one buys and sells. So the question is, if the non-Jew in the middle over here had no intention of using this to make food, had no intention of using this to eat with, he just had in mind to buy it from the manufacturer and then sell it to his retailer. So is that considered to be cleese? Is that ownership enough, which is going to trigger an obligation to tovel it? Or is that ownership not enough because when the non-Jew owned it, he never planned on using it for food? And that becomes the, that's the second issue. So he says, um, um, okay, we're going to just jump over here just for, um, for time. So in the, the first part of the paragraph, that part which is highlighted over there. So all of that is where he's presenting the Havamina. That it may be possible to say that if the non-Jew only bought the utensil with the intention to resell it, and he never planned on using it, never used it for food, so maybe when the Jew buys it from him, so maybe the Jew is the one who's effectively making it into a klisuda. For the non-Jew, it was klishora, it was merchandise, which, was, which he was planning on selling. And then when the Jew bought it, so then it's a, when the Jew buys it, that's when it becomes a klishuda. But he says, actually I'll go back three words, he says, kachayanira. So he says, that analysis made sense to me initially, but he says, Amnam yosef. but based on the chinish of the base yosef, the kli, that which the base Yosef said, the Kli Sechora, Dinan Kesaki Naomed Lachtoch Lechatichas Kalafim, that when a non Jew buys and sells a knife and he never plans on using the knife for food, he's just using it as merchandise, as a product that he's going to buy and sell. And that is similar to, let's say, somebody buys a carving knife and they plan on using that carving knife to carve wood. They're very fond of, uh, that's their hobby, is they carve 
pieces of wood into figurines or something like that. So they plan on using that, uh, that knife for carving wood. And then you buy that knife from him and you plan on using it for as a steak knife. So he says, like we wrote over there. So he says, this idea that even though the non-Jew used it for carving wood, and now when you buy the knife from him, you're going to use it as a steak knife. And now the halach is you have to tovel it in that case. So so this makes it evident that our thinking is incorrect. In other words, it's obvious. If you buy a utensil, which you plan to use either for the making of food or for the consumption of food from a non-Jew, even though even though the non-Jew went ahead and manufactured it, he manufactured it not because he ever planned on using it for a meal, but he made it for the sole purpose of selling it to you. And apparently there's a whole market those who are professional chefs. So they generally have their knives custom made. So you go ahead and you just hire these knife makers to go ahead and make you a custom made knife. So even though the, the, uh, the bladesmith has no intention of using that for food whatsoever, he's manufacturing the knife just to sell it to Chef Ralph, because Ralph wants one of these special, you know, $2,000 knives to go ahead and use in the, in the kitchen. Still, Tzarek Tevila. Nonetheless, you have to go ahead and Ralph, when he gets that knife from the, uh, the, the, the bladesmith, he has to go ahead and tovel it, even though the bladesmith never had in mind to use it for food. Like we saw in Sifur. Now he's saying, here explains. Even though when the non-Jewish bladesmith made this knife, for him, it was a piece of merchandise that he was manufacturing and that he was going to sell. And he never planned on using it for making food at all. That was never his intent. And therefore, still you have to tovel it. So what does that teach us? So here comes the, the main principle. That the tuma, which non-Jewish ownership puts into the utensil, which is why we have to tovel it, but the tumor which goes into the utensil has nothing at all to do with whether or not the non-Jew used this utensil for food or not. Ella, but rather the kokli akum habar Yisrael, any utensil which was previously owned by a non-Jew and is now under Jewish ownership, if the Jew now plans on using it for a suda, so it's our tevila. So then it's going to have to be the uh, tovel. The tenai shall kli suda lo nemer al gabe yisrael v'lo gabe yakum. Because this prerequisite that you only have to tovel a meal uh, utensil uh, in, in the mikvah, but non-meal utensils you don't have to tovel in the mikvah, that's not talking about whether it's a meal utensil or a non-meal utensil when the goy owned it. All we care about is whether it was a meal utensil or a non-meal utensil uh, uh, based on the preference or the intent of the Jew who currently owns it. So therefore, again, so it goes from the Jewish manufacturer, so the Jews buy up all of the components for the Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus, so in they, they go ahead and they hire the factory to make it, so it's, still, it's all considered to be Jewish-owned, you don't have to total at that point. But as soon as the, the distributor buys that Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus, 
it's now going, even though he doesn't plan on ever using it, he's buying it with the intention to sell it to Bed Bath & Beyond. But nonetheless, since the non-Jew owned this at some point, when ultimately the final customer who's a Jew buys it and he plans on using it for food, so since he plans on using the, better, the Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus for making pizza and sandwiches and all sorts of different things, reheating the food and whatnot, so since he plans on using it for food, since we look back in history and say, at any point, was this owned by a non-Jew? If the answer to that is yes, so then tevila would be required. So that's the way the Chalkas Binyamin uh, seems to analyze these uh, these halachas, and I'm inclined to uh, to go in that direction rather than what the OK said over here because they didn't really provide much m- many sources over here. I'll just look at this last thing and then we'll finish. He says there are varying opinions within Jewish law whether utensil manufactured under Jewish ownership. So that we said we have over here because the not the uh, a Jew went ahead and commissioned the factory to make this uh, Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus, and they are already bought all of the raw materials and the components, and then is transferred to a non-Jewish retailer, let's say Bed Bath & Beyond now owns it, so that's a non-Jewish retailer, for the sole purpose of reselling it. Obviously, Bed Bath & Beyond never, is never going to use the pizza maker themselves. They're going to go ahead and sell it to their customer. So he says that there's varying opinions whether it requires Tevila yeah. or not. And the rabbinic authorities that, okay, have determined that it does not. So all we saw in terms of sources was this idea that it would require tevila. The Chalkas bin Yamin definitely proves that it would require tevila because the fact that the non-Jew never planned on using it is an irrelevant factor. The issue of whether it is merchandise to be sold or whether it is going to be used in the preparation of a meal, that, that's only a factor as far as the Jewish ownership is concerned, not the non-Jewish ownership. And therefore, I'm going to stick with what I told that guy last week or the week before, that or if I were to go ahead and buy a Betty Crocker Pizza Maker Plus, I would go ahead and I would tovel it without a bracha, like the, uh, like the Ramah concludes, but I would definitely go ahead and I would, uh, I would, uh, I would tovel it. So that is the... Uh, okay. Thank you, Rabbi. All righty. All the best, everybody. And have a good Shabbos. Thank you for coming. And hopefully we'll see some of you by Minchamar. Ralph, you're excited. Travis, Rabbi, you're